what leaves tastes good like a beer should. You said it. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> Try a frosty cold glass of Bavarian right away. That you say? No boulder dash or baloney here. Cheers, everyone, and welcome to the Unfiltered Gentleman. And now, with a higher BAC than your ABV, Greg, Scott, and Dan. Hey, everybody, welcome into the Unfiltered Gentleman. Greg here today. We've got a break from the normal show with an awesome interview from the Midwest. Coming to us from across the country is Mike Marr, owner and brewmeister over at Buffalo Creek Brewing in Long Grove, Illinois. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Very excited to have you on the show today. A little backstory. I was contacted by one of your guys asking if we'd like to talk to you on the show and and have you on the show. And being from the West Coast, I hadn't heard of Buffalo Creek before. So I'm really looking forward to trying something new today. We're over here in Southern California. You guys are outside of Chicago in that area, right? Yeah, we're about 35 miles uh, north of Chicago. Okay. uh, Kind of in between the Chicago-Milwaukee area there. Some good beer coming out of that area, too. Very excited to try something new. You guys were nice enough to send over a couple samples. We'll be trying those on the show and talking about those. We'll be uh, talking about you, talking about your history. And just for everyone listening, if you're in that area, you can find them at 360 Historical Lane, and that's in Long Grove, Illinois. They're on the socials at Buffalo Creek Brewing, of course, at buffalocreekbrewing.com. Mike, if you don't mind, let's dip in with history on you as a beer drinker. When did you get into craft beer? Well, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, about 45 miles from the Canadian border, and you had the uh, local choice of uh, Miller, which was made there, <laughs> or Molson or Labatt's, or, and back in the day, they had OV splits. So, okay. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Old Vienna, but they were a small brewery up in uh, Canada. They'd sell the little eight-ounce bottles, and it was great if you wanted to do a case race with another person. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I kind of grew up drinking Molson Golden which uh, I I live just north of Chicago now. And I will tell you, I won't drink Molson Golden around here. It it is not the same beer that you get back home. Hmm. And uh, it's a little skunky. It's uh, the flavors off. You drink it back home. It's fresh. You can definitely tell that they shouldn't be using green bottles. You know, it's like Corona and and the other ones that they store in uh, clear green bottles. You know, even Heineken, if you drink Heineken draft versus Heineken in a bottle, it's a totally different experience. Yeah. Completely different beer. And uh, the, the nice thing about Molson Golden uh, upstate New York is uh, you're always getting it fresh. So it's, it's like I said, it's uh, quite an experience. And, you know, just from doing that, you know, I started uh, kind of became a beer snob in my, I would say, 18 to 21 year age. I was able to drink legally for a whole uh, 45 days before uh, New York State changed the uh, drinking license from 18 to 21. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't grandfather sin. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it was. You know, the, the thing is, uh, where I grew up, you didn't have a lot of choices. And so I always go down to Syracuse and uh, try to find, uh, you know, different beers and try different things. And we had a couple of uh, breweries there. There was one, Empire Brewing. I think they recently just went out of business, but they were uh, they were there during my college years and, uh, and afterwards. And a great little brewery, made fresh beer, uh, made uh, different things all the time. And it's what inspired me to, you know, go out and seek different beers. Uh, When I went to college, there was a place called Sherlock Holmes, and you'd go down there and they had beers from around the world. During my uh, years at college, I tried to drink them all, but I couldn't make it through the list. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Yes. (laughs) 
after uh, you know going through and drinking lots of different styles of beer, I really fell towards the uh, the German and Belgian style beers. And so when I started home brewing, those were the ones that I uh, I first wanted to make. And I make other beers as well, but these days uh, the German and Belgian ones are the ones that we're known for, and it's what people come here to drink. Yeah, well, I mean, it's even in your title. You're the brewmeister, not the brewmaster. So I think right yep. off the bat, we know you're into some German style beers. Although I, I get criticized by my German friends who say, if you're going to do it, don't do half American, half German. You're a Braumeister or a brewmaster. <laughs> <laughs> They're calling you out. They, they did. That's funny. And that must have been hard. I mean, so I did a little quick Googling while you were talking, and that law changed back in the 80s. Yep. Around then, it must not have been easy to get what we would consider craft beer now. No, no. Most of what we considered craft beer back then were the uh, the imports from other countries. Yeah. Like I say, I, I'd stick to the German and Belgian style beers because, you know, no one's going to make a Flemish red back then. No one's going to make <laughs> the Pilsners that we're used to here in America. Um, you know, mostly back then it was all the domestics. Now it's, there's an American Pilsner, there's a Czech Pilsner, there's a German Pilsner. Actually, our Pilsner here, we kind of varied a little bit and decided to do a Czech Pilsner because we wanted to be a little different. Yeah. And there's one thing that craft beer has really taught beer drinkers, which is uh, Pilsners and lagers are actually really good. They are. Um, in fact, they uh, are number one and two selling beers. The number one selling beer is the one that we sent you, which is our uh, German Kolsch. Okay. And then the number two selling beer here is our 360 Pils, which is uh, Czech Pilsners are traditionally named after a location they're made. And we're at 360 historical lane. No, oh, I like that. That's really cool. Well, you brought it up, the the marvelous Kolsch. Should we crack it open? Let's do it. Yeah, that was a, a fresh batch that was just made, canned uh, this week. So if you look at the data on the bottom, it's about as fresh as it gets. Oh, yeah. Birthed on 804, and we record this on 808. Yep. Nice and fresh. So the marvelous is a, uh, a beer that a friend of mine actually inspired me to make. Uh, so when I first started homebrewing, you know, I started making stouts and, and things of that nature, things you can kind of cover up the taste. Right. Uh, made a few IPAs and American Pale Ales. And um, he's like, you know, you, you need to make a really good Kolsch. And, uh, you know, I'd have always have parties at the house and people come over and they drink all the beer. I went from uh, bottling the homebrew to kegging within a matter of months of uh, starting up. Best decision I ever made. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much easier. Yeah. Cleaning one keg versus, you know. 50 bottles. Oh, it's the worst. But uh, so I kind of tinkered around with the Kolsch and I, I looked up a lot of different uh, Kolsch recipes, read uh, Michael Jackson's uh, book about, you know, all, all the different beers from around the world. I, I have his whole collection. Do you know who Michael Jackson is? No, I don't. He was a beer aficionado, kind of doing what all the beer bloggers are doing now, except for he was doing this back in the 70s and 80s. He would write these books about his experiences and in, in traveling and in, in different beers and really, you know, describe the origins of the beer and what they were going for, give commercial examples. Uh, kind of like if you look up the uh, BJCP, if you look at their their beer categories, mm -hmm. I think they made have, uh, might have taken some of the stuff from him. <laughs> the original creator. So the uh, the German Kolsch that we did, you know, it's an ale that tastes like a lager. It's a kind of a tricky beer to make. Mm -hmm. um, we see lots of examples, especially during the summertime. Uh, we make ours year-round. Like I said, it, it is our number one beer, and, and we actually brew it every two weeks. Well, bless you for making this year-round. There are not enough cultures in my life. <laughs> it's my most recent homebrew. It's what I have on tap right now. I wish every brewery would make a good Kolsch. And this is good. This is light. It's clean, a little cloudy, uh, lower on a carbonation than you'd get out of like your normal Pilsner. 
but uh, very crushable and, and easy to drink on a hot day. So we, we took the standard Kolsch um, idea and added a little bit of wheat to it. Mm-hmm. And so when you add that wheat to it, it gives it a little bit of a sweet flavor. Yeah. And that's that's what makes so many people around here love it. Yeah, this could go down real fast and real dangerously. That's the idea. We're yeah. in the business to sound liquid. What are we at? We have 5.1%. Yeah, this is crushable. Like I said, great hot summer day beer. And I am so glad you guys do this year round. More Kolsch's, please. It's one of my favorite styles. Absolutely. I, I have a, we have a liquor store that's probably about five, six miles from here. It sells our beer. And, you know, they're ordering uh, two, three cases of this uh, every week from us. And he's always telling me, he's like, you know, when I, when I first met you and you told me you wanted to sell Kolsch here, he's like, he goes, no, nah, you know, that's a summertime beer. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, we have Goose Island here in town and uh, uh, they have their summertime Kolsch. Mm. And so everyone thinks that because of them, it's just a summertime beer, but it is a beer. If you go to Cologne, Germany, you drink it year round. Oh, sure. I imagine. Yeah. It, it's so good. This got brought up because you're talking about homebrewing. How did your love of beer kind of make its way into homebrewing? Around when did you start homebrewing? Uh, I started homebrewing about 18 years ago. Okay. And so this is before it was uh, you know trendy to do so. And it was hard to find ingredients. It was hard to find equipment. And a lot of what I have um, from my homebrew kit, a lot of it I Frankenstein together. Oh, sure. If you, you sit there and you figure out, okay, well, I can weld this or take it over to someone and have it weld it. If you want a, uh, a war chiller, you you go out and you buy 50 feet of copper coil and you start building it yourself. <laughs> Using a turkey fryer? You got it. <laughs> uh, these, these days I got a mega pot, but uh, the mega pot does a great job. It's, I actually still brew in it. I brewed in it yesterday. We do make a, uh, a small batch every month and we do 10-gallon uh, batches where we can try new things, new flavors release it into the taproom, see what people think. That's fun. It's a lot of fun. Our, some of our stuff that we've created over the past year, you know, we've done a uh, hibiscus cream ale. We've, we did a uh, chocolate milk stout that we did it, uh, we released it on a Tuesday in February, you know, thinking that, oh yeah, this, this will last at, you know, the end of the week. Right. People came in that night. They loved it so much. They drank it all. Oh, geez. 10 gallons was gone. And it was one of the ones that we had a, a request for, hey, can you make a big batch of this? Well, here we are a uh, year and a half later, and we brew that one every three months. Nice. Make a 15-barrel batch. Well, and I was creeping around your website, not just chocolate, but do you have a chocolate bacon stout right now? We have a chocolate bacon stout. I will say, though, the uh, chocolate milk stout has cannibalized the sales of the uh, chocolate bacon. Okay. <laughs> um, chocolate bacon, it, it's kind of it's weird. It's funky. I had a friend. His name was uh, Cashier Xerxes. That's why the beer's name is Xerxes. Mm. He challenged me to make a chocolate bacon beer. He's like, you're always trying to make new things. He goes, I need chocolate and bacon. <laughs> so there, there's no chocolate or bacon in the beer. It's all done with the malts. Okay. You know, it smells like it smells like chocolate. It smells like bacon. As you drink it, I mean, you actually think that you're drinking something with chocolate and bacon in it. What is everyone's reaction when they try it? You know, some people are like, you know, it's interesting. You know, if you don't like um, smoked beers, then I would recommend that you tr- not try it. Sure. But those who like a good Roush beer, we have just enough smoke in there to, to let you know that it's there. A lot of people think that it's a great breakfast beer because you got the chocolate, you got the bacon, and they'll come in, you know, that's the first beer they order on Saturday mornings when they come in. <laughs> a nice little breakfast beer. You got it. That's hilarious. Yeah, we have one customer. He comes in. He starts his uh, Saturday morning every week with a uh, with the Xerxes, and then he follows it up with a 360 pills. Starting off the weekend right. He, he knows how to do it right. <laughs> so you said you have that 10-gallon former homebrew set in the brewery. What's your uh, what's your normal setup? So we, we have a 15-barrel brew house. Okay. And 
most times we're doing uh, 15 barrel batches. Uh, a lot of times we'll end up uh, double batching. Mm-hmm. We do have uh, four 30 barrel uh, fermenters. Okay. We'll do a you know one batch in there, let it rest overnight, and then do a second batch the next day. So going back to, to homebrew a little bit, uh, before you got into this as a as a career, what was your normal, what was your day job? So I, I owned a uh, software company and I've owned two of those in my life. I sold both. I used to work in the finance industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things was my job was to go out and meet with uh, different clients and actually talk to them about, you know, going onto our uh, data aggregation platform. Mm-hmm. And it was all in the retirement space, so real, you know, real sexy stuff there. Right. You know, you, you can't really talk about data aggregation. It's it's just one of those things like you know, you just got to get them to do it. Yeah. And what I would do is instead of taking them out to steakhouses and, and things of that nature, I go out and meet with these vendors, clients. Always take them to a brewery. Sure. In the course of uh, probably five years, I visited hundreds of breweries. Uh, I'd be out traveling Monday through Friday, and I'd hit at least three or four every week. Nice. And every time I went to a new town, you know, kind of figure out what's out there. Back in the day, Yelp was really good and they'd help me find any microbreweries, um, show me the hours. And next thing you know, I'm taking the clients there. I start talking to the owners of the place or, or someone of, uh, that has some knowledge. And uh, I'd be, you know, five minutes later going in the back with the owners and taking the, the crew with me, <laughs> showing how, how beer is actually made. At that point, landed every single client. Yeah, I bet. That's always a fun night. One thing I keep seeing on your website, I mean, of course, I, I googled Buffalo Creek before the interview. One thing I keep saying everywhere is that it's a destination brewery. What does that mean? The building itself, when, when we were looking for a place, we, we had a couple different locations that we were seeking out. I actually came here in, in downtown Long Grove, and it's a historic town. It's been here since the 1800s. Many of the buildings, you know, some of the buildings that are here, are some of those old uh, Sears catalog buildings. Oh, yeah. So it, it's kind of, a, it's got a really unique feel to it. Um, it's got a, a one lane covered bridge that was uh, destroyed and will be back actually in about a week. Oh, how fun. But the bridge itself is, you know, it dates back to 1906. There's only three left in the uh, in the state. But it's like I said, it's an old uh, historic covered bridge. You know, you feel like you're in New England. It's got this really nice charm, lots of little shops. Uh, you can buy merchandise. You can buy candies. You, I mean, we have Long Grove Confectionery who's here. Uh, they mm. sell uh, handmade chocolates. The restaurant scene here is uh, pretty vibrant. And uh, we actually have the oldest restaurant in the state uh, or the oldest con- continually operating tavern in the state oh, um, down the street from us. So when we came, the town was part of the uh, the selling feature for us to, to actually come here. The other thing was we found a art gallery and studio that was built in the uh, early 90s. And the building was being converted from a art gallery and studio to an art gallery and studio with a restaurant. The former owner, he ran out of money, was foreclosed on, and the building sat here in a raw state for about 10 years. Wow. No business, unless you're going to spend a lot of money, was able to come in. And to give you an idea of the size of this place, the building itself is 17,000 square feet. Holy crap. The brew house itself uh, looks like a cathedral. It's a uh, A-sided room with beautiful wood ceiling with these uh, huge arches that you like see in a church coming up to the peak. And that, that used to be the uh, gallery. So we turned the gallery into a uh, place where we can brew beer. Uh, the bottom level, um, we've actually used that as our packaging. And then on the first floor, we have a, a tap room with a, a beer garden out back. We have lawns that Right now, we have socially distanced seating for about 162 people outside. That's pretty good. Although we are, we have been getting crowds in here of about 250 on a Friday and Saturday night 
fortunately there's enough room where everyone can kind of space out and, and, and really be away from everyone. Yeah. Uh, we've put picnic tables in the woods. So when you come here, when we say it's Lake County's only destination brewery, we're not in a warehouse. We're not in a strip mall. We're, we're you know, we've taken this really unique building and turned it into a fantastic German beer garden tap room. It's all, everything is Bavarian themed. So we tried to go for no stainless steel. Everything is copper. All the walls are cedar. When you walk in, you can actually still smell the cedar from uh, when uh, we put everything or when we installed everything. Yeah. Looks fantastic. Smells fantastic. <laughs> and when you look out the backyard, we have these uh, huge uh, spruce and pine trees that are out there. And like today, we got a couple clouds going by. If you're down in the lower level looking up, you feel like you're in Colorado. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really just an all around fantastic experience when people come here. That's what we try to make for every customer that comes in. Yes. Yeah, so you really put a lot of uh, thought and planning into what it's going to look like, not just turning out some beer. Exactly. Yeah. Because a lot of people can make beer, but you got to be able to sell the beer. You got to have the whole experience. Mm -hmm. And what many brewers don't realize is when they start a brewery that it's actually multiple uh, occupations in one. Sure. I mean, running a tap room is one thing, running distribution is another, the actual production and uh, making the beer is another. So if, if you actually look at all these, it's about three or four different jobs, depending on how you do things. Oh, I can imagine. Um, speaking of making the beer, we have another one. We have a strawberry blonde <laughs> that you sent over. And I, I have to admit, a little uh, worried about this one. Well, I want you to be worried. And then I want to know what your, <laughs> what your uh, opinion is when you drink it. So if you look on there, you'll see a picture of our historic bridge behind the uh, red-headed stepchild himself. Oh, yeah. And we've taken the iconic uh, logo that was up there and replaced it with a strawberry. <laughs> I see that. So we get to have a little bit of fun with, the, nice. with what we do here. All right. So this is a traditional German blonde. And what we do is after uh, about a week of fermentation, we get into secondary. We'll add a mountain of strawberries to it and ferment them out. Okay. That way you get a beer that still tastes like a beer, but has an essence of strawberry to it. And does adding fruit in there at that point, does that add any alcohol to it? It actually does. When we uh, measure it out, it ends up kicking the alcohol to about an extra 1 to 1.1%. Wow. Surprising amount, actually. It's a lot of strawberries. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. All right. So on the nose, very strawberry smelling, and it smells like real fruit, doesn't smell like a uh, I don't, you know, a ballast point beer, if you will. We don't like cough medicine. No, thank God. It smells really good. I'm, I'm diving in. So I have lots of friends that tell me don't fruit the beer, but right. like I said, when, when we try to do it, we want to make sure that it still tastes like a beer. And you've definitely accomplished that. It tastes like a beer, and it's not like, ooh, lots of strawberries. It's a beer, and it's got a little side of strawberry on it. Yep. And what inspired this beer was way back in the day. Do you remember Pete's Wicked Ale? Yeah. To do a, a strawberry bear, mm -hmm. Pete's Wicked Strawberry, I think. I wanted something that was reminiscent of that. I don't think I ever had there. I I know Pete's Wicked Ale. I don't think I ever had the strawberry. This is, I have to admit, this is uh, surprisingly good. I was, <laughs> I was very worried about it. Fruited beers, especially not sour fruited beers, can go uh, in many different directions. And this is refreshing. It's crisp. It's really crisp, actually. Uh, hides that, was it 6.1? Hides that 6.1 pretty well. Um, this is an easy drinker. It's an easy drinker. So usually every year we make one batch. It's a 15 barrel batch. And we usually sell maybe about 10 kegs outside of here. And then the rest is all sold uh, just draft here. Mm. Well, this year, because of COVID, we decided to can it. 
Long Grove is known for its festivals. We have a craft beer fest, a chocolate fest, a strawberry fest, an apple fest. Nice. Um, and Irish days, vintage days, uh, you, you name it. If there's a reason to open a beer, we, we have a festival. <laughs> and so we usually release this about the week before Strawberry Fest, and it goes till August. And this year, and I, you know, I'm not quite sure what happened, but it was the first batch was gone in two and a half weeks. Wow. And uh, the third beer we're going to drink, so we actually used the same yeast. We harvested it, and we made the uh, the North Star, which is what you're going to drink next. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we got done making the North Star, we harvested the yeast and made another batch of the Red-Headed Stepchild. Okay. We released it last Thursday. When you do a 15-barrel batch, you're getting about 28 to 30 kegs out of it. Okay. We're down to two kegs now. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was canned on 7.30. Nice and fresh. Yep. I got to give it to you. Surprisingly good. I, as I was prepping for the interview, I thought, I hope I don't have to like say it's great and it's not great. But you killed it on this one. Thank you. You know, I tell I tell people we we try not to make crap. <laughs> it's a good business plan. Yeah. Uh, you kind of brought it up a little bit. COVID changing the way you guys are operating. I imagine not only as a brewery because we've we've seen how COVID's affecting brewery, but as a destination brewery where a lot of your business is, you having a great spot to come hang out at and great beer. How has COVID impacted all that? We were shut down for eleven weeks, other than uh, curbside, mm-hmm. and. That, that, made it really tough, but it gave us uh, an opportunity to kind of sit down, reevaluate. Okay. So when we reopen, what are people going to want? What are they going to want to do? And as we were kind of looking at the facility, we're like, okay, you know, we got some PPP money and instead of just paying people to sit around, like, no, we're going to actually do something and do it really cool. So we redid our backyard and we took a bunch of pallets that we had, put in a boardwalk, uh, redid the lawn, uh, put in all this new lighting, also put in a uh, kind of like a stone area that used to, it was an area of the lawn that used to always get really muddy. And uh, we kind of cleaned that up and it made it look really nice. Nice. And in doing so, our backyard now, it gets tons of traffic all, every weekend. And even Monday through uh, Thursday, we have seen numbers uh, double or triple what we used to do. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. I know there's been a lot of pent-up demand. You know, our our nervous part right now is what do we do come the end of October? Because nobody wants to be inside. And we've actually, like, even changed our point of sale. We used to be bar service only. Now we actually, our servers actually go out and they will run beers back and forth. You know, things like that have really changed our, our business model and the way that we're operating. The other is our distribution. Mm-hmm. Without the restaurants right now, there's really not a lot of draft accounts. So we've been doing a lot more canning and packaging in that way. Yeah. So much so that we've had a problem trying to find cans. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. So our normal manufacturer has not had cans for over two months. Wow. So we, we've gone through some other companies. Um, we are paying a higher price point per can. You know, And if you think about it, we're paying about an extra three cents per can. That makes it roughly another 72 cents of added cost per case every beer we sell. And, and, you know, with a couple pallets of cans, that really adds up. It, it adds up very quickly. So we haven't changed our prices yet. We're hoping that things are kind of, you know, subside and go back to normal. Yeah. But if they don't, we, we might have to up our price on the on the cans. And I imagine people understand that for the most part. I, I think they do. Um, you know, they, they, they know that we're over here. They know that we're working hard. There's not a day that goes by that I'm, I'm not here at the brewery. You know, technically, this was supposed to be my retirement job. <laughs> This is a retirement job where I now work 12 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. 
Well, and it sounds like you guys have uh, pivoted very well. I Out here, at least, in California, not at just breweries, restaurants, basically anybody. Anybody who's done a good job of setting up a, of a nice and distance outdoor space seems to be crowded almost every night and especially on the weekends. Yep. And it seems like that's the way to go. And it's going to be the way to go for you know a while until they get things figured out. So, uh, And then cans. I, I keep preaching to everybody, please release cans. We want to support you. We want to buy your beer and help you stay afloat. Please package it so we can help do that. It sounds like you guys are doing that as well. Yeah, we're, um, beer, like I said, redheaded stepchild. We never did that in cans before. We created a label. You know, we're still debating on our Oktoberfest. It comes out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to do labels, I got to pull the trigger on that on Monday. Okay. We've had several uh, package stores that will tell us, they're like, Mike, if you, if you make cans, we're buying it. We'll buy everything you got. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, we, we've been getting a name for ourselves, which, which is, you know, three years. And, and this is the other thing. You know, we've been really crowded this year. And I'm wondering if it's because we've kind of taken a multi-stage approach that during the downtime, they're weren't a lot of companies out there advertising Mm -hmm. and we really used our social media and hit things hard to make sure that we were at the forefront out there. And when there's a lot less noise, you know, people are more often to see you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think um, doing that in combination with going out there and, you know, kind of restructuring everything and getting the word out that we're, you know, we're open for business. Um, Usually the village doesn't allow us to put big signs up out front and the mayor's like, Mike, whatever you got to do is stay in business. Keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Different times. Yep. And uh, so there, there's a little bit of leeway with, with some of the things that we normally wouldn't be allowed to do. And he, even the, uh, the Illinois liquor commissioner, they allow us to uh, do home delivery on beer. And while we haven't taken that up yet, um, it is something that we have considered. Yeah. They started letting that happen in California after everything got shut down. And it's been uh, one of the few bright points of the entire COVID situation is having brewery drops on your front door. It's uh, <laughs> There's been a lot of drops over at this front door, that's for sure. See, that, that's a nice thing. And, it, and I keep wanting to do it, but then you, you got to think about the safety of, you know, where are you sending someone? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of logistics to it. Yeah. Uh, you talked about doing a lot of traveling before you were a Braumeister <laughs> and taking clients to breweries and, and all that sort of thing. Comparing... The Chicago area, I know you're outside, but the Chicago area to different beer cities like San Diego and Denver and that sort of thing. What makes that area different? It's an interesting question because when I when I travel and I, I go to see different breweries, you know, I, I used to sit there and keep notes uh, about every place that I went to. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is in Chicago, I never really took the notes because I'm like, yeah, I can always go back. And I should have taken notes just because, you know, I, I never realized that once I opened this place that I would be consumed by being here seven days a week. Right. It is a real treat for me. Um, I, I recently just did a trip around Lake Michigan to look at all the lighthouses and kind of take the family and take a few days and, and go out and do some things. And I did go and I, I hit every brewery I could just to get a different experience and see what was out there. Sure. So when it comes to Chicago, it, it's kind of weird because... It's like it's almost like you know too much. A lot of the the breweries that are out there, the, the brewers are friends of mine. Oh yeah. So when I go there, it's like I'm going to their house to drink. <laughs> right. You don't you don't get the normal customer experience. Right. And that's one of the things about being in the industry is you, you all of a sudden your whole attitude um, changes because your experience is completely different. Sure. But um, th- there's several breweries. I mean, I think we have hundred. Well, before COVID, I think we had 185 breweries in Chicago land. Nice. If I remember right, we were now touted as the the densest brewery population in the world. Oh, really? More than San Diego? More than San Diego. 
Nice. That's that's a nice little title to hold. Yep. Now that being said, I still love going to San Diego and drinking. I have friends that live in Orange County, and I'll go out and visit them. And we'll, we'll go down to San Diego for a couple of days just to you know go hit breweries and, and see what's going on. I tell you, there's nothing I like better than going to San Diego for the weekend, hitting a couple of breweries, hanging out on the beaches. It's just it's my favorite town to be in, and the beer doesn't make that such a bad thing. Not at all. And, there, and there's your ballast point there. Are they still, are they still, <laughs> are they still open down there? As far as I know, you know, they got bought out almost a year ago, and uh, as far as I know, they're still going. Yeah, my understanding is they were sold to Constellation, right? And then Constellation sold them to uh, one of my buddies here, uh, Brendan Waters. He owns uh, Kings and Convicts. Yeah. Oh, you know him. He comes over here and drinks all the time. How and, funny! Uh, he's always like, Mike, you built the place that I want. <laughs> well, now he's got the uh, astronomical task of trying to get Ballast Point righted again. He, he does, and I, I, I applaud him. I appraise him. Uh, you know. And anything I can do to help him, I'm hoping that he writes that ship. I, I hope so, too. They were kind of one of the originals until they sold out, and, and then things went downhill. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think Constellation just wanted him for the, the name and nothing more. Oh, that's totally what it was. But uh, I'm not mad at the original owners for selling that place for a billion dollars. I'd do the same thing, too. Yeah, it's kind of hard. You know, those guys, they actually doubled down because then they started a distillery and right. sold that. <laughs> they sold that to, I think, Budweiser. Yeah. They're making cash over there. All right, so in my Googling and, and stalking the brewery online, something came up about your high-tech water filtration. Um, as a home brewer, I know that you know my house water is crappy, so I go buy water from the store, and I know it's, it's important to have good water. Talk about how important the water is when you're brewing, and what is your, your high-tech water filtration system? Okay, can I back up and tell you about a beer that is actually named after our, our water here? Absolutely. So we, we have a beer called 42K. It's a... Uh, Belgian strong ale comes in at about 10 and a half percent alcohol. Ooh. We use uh, two different yeast strains. So every batch might uh, vary in taste a little bit, but nice. they, you know, it, it's pretty consistent. They're consistently good. But the, uh, the village actually charged me 42,000 for the water connection fee. Oh, wow. Now that was just to hook up to the water or to have the right stock up to the water. Now, the one thing that we did is we kind of forced the issue because downtown Long Grove did not have city water. And since being here and, and, you know, and being here for uh, three and a half years, every uh, business in downtown uh, now is hooked up to the city water. Okay. So everyone has good water and there's no more egg water. Uh, <laughs> that being said, when I got all done, I ended up spending almost 75000 on uh, having water put into the building. Wow. So there's 42000 for the connection fee, you know, all the plumbing and all, all the work to actually bring the water inside. Sure. And then I spent 20000 on a uh, reverse osmosis system. Oh, yeah. You have to. And people have always been like, well, you know, you could get a smaller one that doesn't go as fast. And I'm like, yeah, well, we kind of got the need for speed. And I'm like, but you could <laughs> store it in another tank. And I'm like, yeah, we could do that. And then that's another piece of equipment that I have to maintain. And it's going to take up space. Right. Our RO system, it uh, makes eight gallons of water a minute. And you may think it's fast or not fast, uh, depending on if you're in the industry or not. But at eight gallons a minute, that allows us to make 20,000 gallons a day. We only turn the RO system on when we're making water for the beer. Okay. We started making the hard seltzer, and we decided if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And so we use our pure RO water for the uh, for the hard seltzer. We call it Black Hoof. Okay. Kind of make fun of White Claw. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah, we're buffaloes over here, so right. we can do the Black Hoof. We released, released a boysenberry version of it back in October. 
and we've been making 20 gallons a week and we release it every Friday and it's usually gone by Saturday. Wow. You know, with the demand for it, we decided, okay, let's get a couple more flavors going and let's uh, up the uh, production. So now we're doing, you know, 15 barrel batches of uh, hard seltzer. And again, it's all made with RO water. It's made with uh, dextrose. It's made with, uh, you know, yeast nutrient, all the good things. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfectly clean flavor. It's got just a slight bit of sweetness to it. And then um, we work with a company out of California. Uh, you might know them, Amaretti. Oh, for the flavors? Yep, they make all the different extracts and stuff like that. So we'll. So what we do now is we make an unflavored version, put that into the kegs, and then we, we're treating it like the phosphate system. One pump for a, a pint, two pumps for a stein, four pumps for a, a growler. Nice. Yeah, there's a brewery out here that's doing the exact same thing. They'll, they'll brew the clear one, and then whatever flavor you want, they'll make that flavor for you. Or if you want to go crazy and, and do a suicide, one of each, they'll do that for you too. <laughs> They don't recommend it, but they will do it. Yeah, I'm wondering how the mango habanero would taste with uh, boysenberry. Ooh, that sounds dicey at best. <laughs> but yeah, so the water here, um, the nice thing having an RO system is I can actually go around the world, go to different breweries, get a water sample, get a recipe from them. And in, in theory, I should be able to 100% recreate their recipe here. And uh, right now we're we're doing a couple collaborations. We're doing one with a, uh, have you ever heard of uh, Brown's Brewing Company? I've heard of them, yeah. I went to school in Troy. So when I was in college, it was called Brown Moran's. <laughs> then it was, uh, I think, Uncle Sam's uh, Brewing. <laughs> Very patriotic. Yeah, well, Troy is the birthplace of Uncle Sam. So that, that's uh, kind of the mantra there. And they're now, I guess, Brown and Moran got into a fight. And uh, now it's just Brown's Brewing Company. <laughs> okay. I've been working with their brewers. They gave me the recipe for, uh, they do a cherry raspberry amber. Oh. And it was one of those ones that, you know, yeah, don't fruit the beer. Right. Well, they do it right where they actually ferment the fruit out. So you get the flavor of the fruit, but none of the uh, sweetness. Nice. We're going to be making that sometime in the next uh, month or two. And then doing a uh, uh, doing a Skype session like we're doing today, except for it'll be video. And we'll have the uh, two tap rooms linked together for the uh, release. Oh, that'll be really fun. Yeah. Something a little different. Yeah. And, and it's what you got to do these days. Can't get everybody in the same room anymore. Yeah, and if anyone wants to join, they'll be able to join as well. So it'll be nice. That's what, So you're going to like drop a link so everybody can hang out and, and watch with you guys? Oh, absolutely. So the the nice thing then about being able to recreate all the different water profiles, I mean, you want to go to Germany and do a, a German beer. You want to go to San Diego and do a West Coast IPA. I mean, you can basically do whatever you want at that point. As long as we can you know, make the right uh, water profile. Yeah. It's like brewing something for the first time. You can go through and, and get it exact so you think. Uh, you have it exactly the way you want it. And even after you get done, you're like, oh, I think we can tweak it a little bit. And we've actually done some recipes where people have given us recipes to brew. While they may be great for a homebrew system or great on a smaller system, mm-hmm. with what we're doing, we, we have to scale them up. And we, we change the recipes a little bit and we bring them in and they're, you know they try it. They try the wort as soon as it's made. They try the, the finished product. We're getting pretty good at actually being able to um, copy something if we needed to. Nice. If you want to make a West Coast IPA, just get the dirtiest water you can find. <laughs> That's all you need. Our water out here is horrendous. <laughs> One of the things you might have noticed is we're not a big IPA shop. Saw that, yes. You know, we have made IPAs. We have one that we call the obligatory IPA. Mm-hmm. I actually brewed on a Monday. We we have a, a double IPA. Nice. And it's a old school English style double IPA. Okay. We put a little bit of uh, peated barley in it. It gives it that nice earthy flavor. So it, it tastes like homebrew, but it's not. You know, there's a brewery out in our direction. They're called Anagrin. We have them on the show all the time. They are a German brewery as well. 
they do amazing German beers and they hate making IPAs and they, they have their one because no matter what signs you have on the front door, people are going to walk into there and go, Hey, what's your uh, hoppiest beer? And, and that's, you know, and that's the funniest thing. You know, you get people coming in and, and you can't say anything because the customer is always right. Exactly. And what we're trying to appease people for us, we have an American pale ale and we dry hop it. So you, you get a lot of the characteristics of an IPA but it's not quite an IPA, right. at least not my uh, consideration. So speaking of German beers, we have one more beer to try, this North Star. My wife and I were talking, and I got to give her a lot of credit. Her and I were talking about this, and we wanted to make a beer. You know, the, the whole thing with all the riots and the Black Lives Matter, a lot of breweries went out there and just said, yeah, we, we support Black Lives Matter, but then didn't do anything to actually back up the claim that they support it. Right. And we wanted to take a, a little bit of a different stance and so I wanted to make a, a special beer. And again, I was reusing the, the yeast from the redheaded stepchild. Well, I wanted to make a German all. I haven't made one in a you know production uh, scale. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of people come in here and they're like, you know, our compliments to the brewer. Um, <laughs> they, they haven't had an alt beer in years and they've tried it and they're, they're like, yes, this is exactly the way it should taste. So when I want you, uh, you actually decide for us here. Okay, I'm, I'm pouring it right now. It tastes like that. You're going to notice that it's a nice caramel color, totally clear. Mm-hmm. When you're going to smell it, you're going to smell the malt and the hops. Yeah, that is a, that smells very sticky, sweet, malty, with a little bit of hop on the, the finish of the nose there. Yep, so it's going to be malt forward with a nice, long, bitter finish. I always tell people, think of an Oktoberfest that's made in English bitter. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, it's got that uh, extra bitter finish. When I say extra, not extra bitter, but you know, like an English bitter finish. Uh, sweet up front and the the bitterness helps clean it up so you want more and it's not just sticky in your mouth exactly and and that's uh we actually brewed this beer in response to the the black lives matter but we're what we're doing is we're actually donating a dollar of every pint that's sold to an organization here in lake county called youth build okay and youth build they're an organization that will take young adults teenagers to young adults and that have kind of gone off in a wayward direction, and they try to get them back on the right path. Okay. The guy who started the organization, he actually co-founded a book called North Star. And we were thinking of things that, you know, how we get people back in the right direction, North Star, a compass, you know, true north. What we did now is we created this beer as a fun, kind of a fundraiser for them. And we actually we think we're going to follow it up with another beer called true north okay and continue the uh, continue this the organization is great the people are fantastic and they're doing something that really matters the funny thing is i didn't even know this but uh, until we really delved into it one of the other organizations uh, they, they have different ways that people can better themselves and there's a the roberti culinary pathway where they bring uh, individuals in and they give them all the basic skills to be a be a cook and so you know they're teaching them chopping sanitation how to prepare food and all the food that's prepared while they're going through the training is actually donated to a uh, different organizations like homeless shelters and things like that this organization is actually one of the pathways that they can go down when they an individual comes into youth build okay and so we were already uh supporting that and and being a part of that um they do a lot of different fundraisers and stuff and we've donated beer to the fundraisers and the guy who actually started that is a good friend of ours 
and he has a food truck. He had a business here in town, but he still, he continues to open up these different culinary schools um, all across the nation. It's such a fantastic program. And, you know, it's something that we can really get behind and and help out and and, uh, be a part of. It's amazing. And even better that it's a local organization as well. Yes. Yeah, that's really amazing. And it's a good beer that you're using to to back that up. So that doesn't hurt either. And you're not canning this one, right? We're not canning it. Um, I put some in cans uh, just for, you know, so you could try some. Well, just from the beer itself, it's a fantastic beer. Uh, It's really good. Like we said before, malty, but not not uh, too sticky because that hop really kind of cleans it up at the end. What kind of hops did you use in this? Uh, we used two different hops. Uh, we used uh, Pearl and uh, Herzbrucker. Oh, okay. So Pearl was in there for the uh, 60 and 30 minute and then Herzbrucker for the uh, finishing. Very nice. Well, it came out great. So uh, my compliments to the Braumeister. Thank you. Absolutely. And I, I love the program. That's great. I know there's a lot of breweries which are doing the uh, Black is Beautiful beer right now, which is phenomenal, but this is another great program. So uh, good on you guys for, for giving back to the local community as well. It's very nice. Thank you. We'll start to wrap things up a little bit here. What is your inspiration or your process? How do you come up with new recipes? You know, a lot of it is our customers coming in and asking for different things. No, this one's not a customer. It's my wife. <laughs> most important, though. Yes, the most important. I grew up on a blueberry farm as a kid, mm. and we were out in Boston. Uh, we used to live in Boston, and we used to go to Boston Beer Works all the time. It's right there across the street from Fenway, and they had a, a blueberry ale that they made. And she's like, I want you to recreate that. And she's like, it's one of those beers. It's very memorable. They would sit there. It was a, a Belgian golden ale and with a blueberry flavor. So it was still um, a nice pale straw color, mm-hmm. but it had a nice blueberry flavor. And they would always put a scoopful of blueberries in it. And I just remember it was very mesmerizing uh, sitting there watching the blueberries. They collect on the, uh, the CO2, float to the top. As soon as they hit the top, they'd sink back to the bottom again. And, you know, just constantly going. It's like a lava lamp. Kind of like a lava lamp, <laughs> but you get to enjoy it a little bit more. Right. When people come to me, kind of like my wife did with this one, she's like, okay, I want you to make this. I will go through and I'll research a lot of different recipes, and then I'll sit there and I'll play around with it. And so this one, we made a 10-gallon batch of it yesterday, and it's going to be one of those ones we'll release in a couple of weeks in the tap room as part of our small batch program. But it, it's something that you know I really wanted to um, – you know, I, I kind of get very passionate about the, the beers that we make, and I want to make sure that anything we make is – First off, it's got to be drinkable, it's got to mm-hmm. taste good, and it's got to pe- get people that want to come back and have another. Of course. It's part of the business plan to be able to sell liquid. The other aspect is it's got to be something that people really remember. So when I go through it and make one of these recipes, like even the Marvelous way back when, that is a recipe that I think I designed 16, 17 years ago. Oh, wow. And I have not changed it since. Again, we go through 500 gallons of that every two weeks. Any of the beers we make, a lot of it is, you know, I'll sit there and I'll start chewing on the raw ingredients to figure out what it's going to taste like. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll kind of like take a combination of the malts. It's kind of an awkward way of doing it, but I'll go through and actually uh, just crunch on, on things and, and see what it's going to taste like before I even brew it. Yeah, it's nothing weird about that. What is a brewery pet peeve of yours? Uh, brewery pet peeve is getting everyone... So my manager and I, we're, we're both anal about having everything clean, mm-hmm. having everything spotless. And uh, I guess my, my number one pet peeve is when people don't put things away, take an extra five minutes to clean something 
either I'm looking at it or Josh is looking at it. And the two of us are like, nope, it's got to be clean. <laughs> you know, this, this is a brewery. It's not a restaurant. So we have to be 10 times cleaner than a restaurant. Absolutely. We, we've had customers come in here and they're like, Mike, this is the only place I come on a Saturday night and the bathroom gets cleaner throughout the night. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. No. And what would you say is the new trend in beer? The new trend in beer that I've seen and that I've talked to a lot of people about is going back to the traditional styles of beer. Mm-hmm. There was the big IPA craze, then the, you know, adding everything you can do to an IPA, adding lactose, making milkshake <laughs> IPAs, going with the, you know, the grapes and making uh, all those uh, brewed IPAs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the IPA thing is, is coming not to an end, but I think it's going to be toned down a bit for the next few years. Yeah. And, and this is where you're going to see a true test with the brewers because personally, I, I don't want to slam IPAs, but for me, it's a way of covering up um, imperfections in your beer Yeah, and making the traditional styles of beer. That's where you got to be spot on. I mean, mm-hmm. our 360 pills, it's one of the hardest beers that we make. And I don't want anyone but myself make it because it's got to be spot on perfect. Just the, some of the processes that we follow, you know, it's more about technique than the ingredients. And it's the hardest one to make and the easiest one to drink. You got it. But you know if something's wrong with it right away. You know, we're, we're checking it all the way through the process to make sure that it, it you know, it takes a month to make. Mm-hmm. We're, we're always doing a nail biter because as we, um, we, we brew 15 barrels every month. And as soon as we take it out, and, and I'm literally not kidding you, we take it out. And we have a new batch going in usually about 30 minutes later. Wow. We have just enough time to clean the tanks, rinse them, sanitize them, yeah. harvest the yeast. And it is, I'd say, 30 to 60 minutes before the next batch is going back in. Wow, that's a lot of, a lot of pills turning. It's a lot of pills turning. But if we don't do it, you know, like I said, it's a nail biter. We're always worried that we're going to run out. Right, right. It does happen occasionally. And people are like, well, why don't you brew more? It's like, well. <laughs> We want it be to be as fresh as possible. Right. Fresh beer is so much better. Um, all right. So I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. First answer that comes to mind. Don't think about it too long. What is the first beer you ever drank? Budweiser. First beer you ever brewed? A uh, stout. First beer that you brewed and sold? Marvelous. What's your favorite style to brew? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I'd have to say uh, the Pilsner. Cans or bottles? Cans. And what's your favorite beer and food pairing? You know, beer and pizza is usually uh, right up there, but I, I have to say beer and steak. That's a good one. I love to grill on the weekends. And uh, so I'll, I'll break up the uh, the Weber grill, make myself a perfect steak, medium rare. Nice. You have a nice beer while I'm uh, making it and another beer while I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah. It's not barbecue. And if you're not drinking while doing it, uh, it's Tuesday night. What are you drinking? Marvelous. What's your beercation destination? Probably San Diego. Nice. What's your favorite outside non-Buffalo Creek beer? I have to say that uh, probably Dovetail uh, here in Chicago. They also make classic. Uh, the, the guy is Hagen Dos, and he makes fantastic German-style beers. Nice. I love to drink them. What's your favorite non-beer hobby? Downhill skiing. Uh, favorite guilty pleasure beer? Occasionally, I'll drink a Stella. And your favorite word or slang for being drunk? Hammered. Classic. Mike, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, If you guys, like we said, if you're in Illinois, 360 Historical Lane, Long Grove, Illinois, you can find them on the webs, buffalocreekbrewing.com, and on the social media at Buffalo Creek 
Brewing. Go over there. Have a marvelous Kolsch. It's the one that I'm going to lobby that Mike starts distributing out west at this point. Let us know when that happens, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Plan is uh, Iowa for uh, next year. We're going to have to go a little more west. We're working our way. We'll, we'll get it out there. <laughs> Work your way on out. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for, for your time and for the fantastic beer. Thank you very much, and uh, really appreciate it. Cheers to you and, and for everything that you do with these, uh, with these podcasts. A big thank you and a cheers one last time to Mike for being nice enough to get some of his beer over here in my hands, as well as to spend the time with me talking about his beer, his brewery, and some of his processes over there in Illinois. If you have any questions for him or anyone at the brewery, head over to buffalocreekbrewing.com or follow them at Buffalo Creek Brewing on the socials. Make sure you check them out if you're in that area. Find us at theunfilteredgentleman.com, at theunfilteredgentleman on the socials, except for Twitter at unfilteredgents. And don't forget, you can drunk dial us, 805-538-BEER. It's 2337. Leave us a little voicemail. I hope everyone's staying very well hydrated out there. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.